From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. There's a this sort of a, a really perfect storm here, potential criminal liability, potential civil liability, um, and the fact that he's under some enormous pressure to, to meet some debt obligations and that his cash flow is sort of drying up, that all sort of converge to make this a pretty disastrous time for Trump. The only thing I would say in my experience of studying and being a litigator is number one, litigation takes a very long time. Uh, Civil suits can take years. Welcome back to season six of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Not unexpectedly, federal and state courts are awash in suits versus former President Trump and his followers. Litigation and dispute resolution expert Sergio Campos guides us through the waves. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Sergio. Nice to have you back. It's nice to be back, Catherine. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So let's start with the breadth of pending civil lawsuits, uh, maybe from most to least or most frivolous uh, uh, lawsuits. Um, For instance, Eric Swalwell, the House Democrat from California, he just recently filed a federal suit against Trump for acts of terrorism and incitement to riot attributed to the big lie. Uh, Is this revenge theater or is it justified? It's a good question. And I think it's actually really hard to say. Uh, As you know, I'm a law professor. I work at the law school. And one thing that Trump has done is because his actions are so outside the norm, he highlights certain aspects of the Constitution or certain statutes that nobody ever thinks about, nobody ever reads about. Courts have never addressed ever. Maybe they, they were addressed like 100 years ago, but there's been no reason to address it because people don't do the things that Trump does. So the Solwell litigation, and there's actually some similar litigation by Representative Mo Brooks, is based on a statute that was passed after it, it, during Reconstruction after the Civil War, uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan Act, and this is 42 U.S.C., 1985-1. And if you look at this at, at the text of 42 USC 1985-1, it states that it is prohibited, it's, a, it's unlawful to conspire to prevent by force, intimidation, or threat any person from holding office or from discharging any duties thereof. And the actions of Trump fit the language actually pretty well. And if you look at the rest of the statute, it says that people that are harmed by this conduct are entitled to damages. So I did a little bit of research to see the cases having to do with uh, 42 USC 1985-1, not a whole lot out there. It's going to be interesting to see how the courts deal with it. This is just a situation where you have a ex-president that is simply behaving in a way that no one has behaved like in hundreds of years. I can't say it's political theater because it, it, it seems to fit the statute. Like, it, it, I'm curious to see how the courts treat it. Is that in tandem? Is Swalwell's suit in tandem with the NAACP suit against Trump, Don Jr., Giuliani, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keeper, et cetera, et cetera, um, in, as a violation of the 187, 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act? So it's actually slightly different. So 
the Solo action is based on 42 U.S.C. 1985, Section 1. The action by the NAACP is based on 1985, Section 3. And to provide some context for the listeners, the NAACP is suing Trump, Don Jr., Giuliani, and a bunch of other individuals for conspiring to interfere with the voting rights of African Americans in Michigan. And in particular, they're focusing on Trump's conduct and trying to pressure lawmakers to try to overturn the results of the voting in certain in certain municipalities and try to flip them in favor of Trump, which would, and since many municipalities have a lot of African-Americans, this would nullify a lot of their votes. This is going to be a little bit harder, I think, than the Sawwell case. What makes the Sawwell case hard is that it's there isn't a whole lot of case law. So it's hard to forecast what's going to happen. There actually is a fair amount of case law on 42 U.S.C. Section 1985-3. In general, if, if you simply discriminate against voters based on political affiliation, you can't recover. So there has to be some showing that you're discriminating not based on political affiliation, but you're discriminating based on race or some other protected uh, characteristic or, or group. And that animus requirement, that discrimination requirement, I think is going to be a little tricky to prove in the case of Trump's actions. So I think that's going to be a little more difficult than the Solwell case for that reason. Mm -hmm. And what other cases are are out there, civil cases that are out there? I was thinking, um, I was thinking especially of, of, of if we are going to see the January 6th insurrectionists suing in, in civil court for, I don't know, being canceled. Uh, but, you know, losing their jobs, accruing giant legal bills, going to jail. So what's interesting is that um, there is a fair amount of sort of prosecutorial activity involving Trump. You have, for example, the New York DAs looking into some of Trump's actions with regards to um, how he has reported some of his earnings with respect to his companies. You also have some uh, some prosecutors looking into his conduct with respect to pressuring uh, Georgia elected officials with respect to the, with the election there. Um, and then on top of that, you also have uh, just a number of civil cases that have kind of languished because he was president. But now, um, because, because he's, he's left office, it just makes it that much easier to go forward with some of these cases, you know, over-promotion of ACN and, and other multi-level marketing opportunities. AKA pyramid schemes. Pyramid schemes. Um, his uh, defamation suit that's brought by a former um, apprentice cont contestant, uh, sexual harassment suits that are being brought, is a suit brought by Mary Trump um, involving uh, defamation and um, uh, with one of her, uh, with her recently published book. It's a lot. So as I understand it, Trump's wealth is primarily based on two major assets or, or two class of assets, his portfolio of properties, which is pretty extensive and pretty big, but the much bigger asset is his name, the brand. And what we've seen lately in the way that Trump ran his business prior to being elected president is that he has foregone really developing properties and instead has licensed his name to other developers so that they can be branded as Trump properties. He has already taken a big hit based on his conduct. And so you're starting to see a lot of Trump branded properties simply removing his name. And um, that is going to not only impair the licensing fees he receives from that, 
but it's also going to make it much harder for him to use his name to brand future uh, future developments. And then the one thing to sort of keep an eye on is that Trump has relied mostly on debt financing to finance most of his ventures. And it's been reported by a, by a number of newspapers that Trump owes some pretty hefty payments. Um, and it's going to be unclear whether he can meet his debt obligations in the near future. So um, there's, a, there's sort of a, a really perfect storm here, potential criminal liability, potential civil liability, um, and the fact that he's under some enormous pressure to, to meet some debt obligations and that his cash flow is sort of drying up, that all sort of converge to make this a pretty disastrous time for Trump. The only thing I would say in my experience of studying and being a litigator is, number one, litigation takes a very long time. Uh, civil suits can take years. Prosecutions, if they're done very carefully, can also take years. So we're not going to see anything, I think, for a while. It's only recently that some of these uh, prosecutors have been able to obtain uh, some financial records because there's been ongoing fights in courts to get subpoenas enforced. So it's only recently they're starting to get the material they would need to bring indictments. Um, so that's going to take a while. The other thing I would pay attention to is the fact that Trump is an escape artist, and he has somehow managed to escape prosecution and liability for many other things he's done throughout his entire career. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Trump finds a way to come out of this relatively scot-free. He's done it before. So, you know, it's it's something to pay attention to. If things look bad, but in a way, they've always looked bad for Trump and somehow he has survived. So right. what happens? So orange suit or 20-year-old Honda Civic, we can see a lot of different things happening to this family. Yes, you can. Um, I think I think we're, we can see. I would say the, the, it's more extremes. Either he runs again for president, or he's in jail. That 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 seems to be the possibility. No middle middle ground there. Um, so, is there one particularly really frivolous suit out there that you looked at and just went, "Oh God, that, that's never going to happen"? It's just like somebody trying to get a bite at the rotting apple while they can. All I have to say is that with Trump, um, there's always something there. So I can't, I can't call any of these particularly frivolous. Um, it, it, they may be difficult to prove in court, but there, there's always something. I, I, I don't see any of the of the litigation that's being filed against Trump as as completely meritless. There, there's all, it's always based on something. Right. And then there's all the the ripple out uh, effect where you're looking at Dominion suing, you know, Giuliani and and Sydney, Sydney Powell, right? Um, yeah. So th so there's lots of of uh, people that are sort of, you know, tarnished or got a little on them. Uh, well, if, I could, if I could say a little bit uh, a little bit about the Dominion suit, I find that extremely fascinating. Because after the Supreme Court decided New York Times versus Sullivan, and Catherine, you're probably super familiar with that, with that famous case because you're a reporter, um, it, it established an extremely high bar for defamation suits against newspapers and other publications when they're speaking about public figures, right? You have to show actual malice. And what that is basically meant is that you can only recover in defamation against some place like Fox News or against the New York Times 
if you can show that they recklessly or deliberately told a lie. And that's a very high standard to prove. And I've seen, I've actually had some experience with cases involving Fox News where it looks like they've met the standard and they still were able to escape. This is the first time I've actually seen litigation like this where the Dominion claims look actually like they might win. And I think you can tell by the behavior of Fox News and other outlets and how they've responded to it. You know, lots of corrections, lots of kind of packaging the statement as like commentary or opinion. Um, The reaction is different than what you would normally see from a publication would suggest to me that um, for the first time, maybe we'll, we'll start to see sort of the outer edge of what you can do with the actual malice standard. So I think that's definitely something to pay attention to. Right. Just to remind our, our listeners, Dominion was the makers of uh, the voting machines that were trashed by uh, by Trump and his posse. Um, let's maybe uh, finish up by looking at, uh, do we see anything new that will happen because of the Biden administration as far as what's going to happen in, in civil courts or civil courts or, or, or criminal courts? I mean, as far as I can tell, um, I think we've spent the past four years with a president like Trump, who has uh, had a lot of involvement with the Department of Justice and the Attorney General, and has, you know, may probably um, inappropriately have has exerted a lot of pressure in their enforcement objectives. From what I've seen from Biden so far, is that he's trying to take the exact opposite approach, which is probably the better approach. I mean, I wouldn't say probably; it definitely is a better approach. Um, I, I see Biden as basically staying arm's length from uh, from his enforcement agency, letting the DOG, DOJ and the attorney general do its job and just letting them see what they're, they're able to find. I don't get the sense from Biden that he wants to exact revenge and, and he's been acting accordingly. I, what I do worry about, though, is that there really should be some consequences for a lot of this conduct because we really don't want to see this happening again. And I really hope that either in a court of law or in terms of reputation, there's some kind of price to be paid for what happened on January 6th. So so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. That let Trump be Trump was probably not the best uh, way to go about that last administration. But I, yeah, I agree with you. Biden is, um, I don't know, the antithesis maybe of, you know, quiet, hands off. He doesn't need to have the entire front page every single day. Um, and a, a very measured and everybody on the, the same page kind of messaging. Uh, nice to have a quiet Twitter, sort of. It's been wonderful. I'm not going to lie. There's been less anxiety in my life. Well, I'm, uh, I thank you so much for your time. And, and uh, you know, stay tuned. I'm, I'm sure we'll be on about this again very soon. I'm sure. And thank you for having me. I really enjoy talking about these issues. I I hope you can have me again. Always. Bye now. Bye. Take care, Catherine. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. 
Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's annual Bankruptcy Skills Workshop on June 2nd and 4th. The virtual workshop focuses on the current direction of consumer bankruptcy and other complex financial issues. For more information, visit law.miami.edu.